Welcome to the Layer 8 Podcast, Season 2. This season, we'll again hear from the experts. These experts are social engineers and open source intelligence investigators. Sometimes, they'll tell us stories about their experiences, and sometimes, we'll have some questions for them. We hope you'll enjoy them. Welcome to this episode of the Layer 8 Podcast. We have a, another interview for you. Today, we have one of my own colleagues. We have Sam Moses from Rapid7. How you doing, Moses? Good, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm doing okay today. For the benefit of our listeners, can you let people know a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Like you said, my name is Sam Moses. I often go by Moses. I work at Rapid7 with. It's great. And yeah, I do penetration testing, everything from internals, externals, um, fishing and fishing and a variety of different testing. And I think Moses is going to grace us today with not one, but two stories of social engineering exploits. Is that right? That is correct. I got two ones that I've done in the last year that I figured would be uh, good ones to share with you all. Just at an extremely high level, what would be like the teaser trailer about these two stories that you're going to tell us? Well, I would say the first one would be technical support screwed up would probably be the title of it, where the second one, I think the, we could call it the sweet old lady. Where you made a new friend. Yeah, she, she was actually really fun. All right. Well, I'm not going to get in your way. So how about you just jump right in and you start telling us that first story about um, how things didn't go so well for your client and what sorts of things that you did with them and information that you got from them, all your strategy and all that kind of fun that you did. How about that? Sounds good. The technical support screw up story. Uh, I would say I was working on an engagement or a penetration test that was a fishing and vishing combo. So I was performing both fishing and vishing during the scoped time of the engagement. And my goals, as I always try to do, is the same goals as the client that they have for that test. Uh, for this engagement, the client wanted me to target user credentials for a specific application they had. And then they were also curious what other information I could discover, but the key was a specific application that was key to their infrastructure that they wanted to see if I could get credentials for. And so I approached this as I typically do, methodology. Normally, I start with OSINT, which is Open Source Intelligence Gathering, or some people refer to it as Recon. And basically, I scoured the internet to see what was out there, um, what I could learn about the company, what I can learn about the third-party vendors they worked with, um, anything about specificities that I could about their employees, which is always helpful because if I want to masquerade as one, or if I don't want to name drop, knowing specific information helps with building that rapport with your target. So yeah, and then after OSINT, I built out the phishing campaign. Um, I designed the pretext around the application the client wanted me to test. Um, and the pretext of the email was that due to some server infrastructure issues, we were migrating the application from the old server to the new server. And since we were migrating over, we were taking the time to remove any legacy or unneeded users. And so uh, I was sending them a link that if they still needed access to the server uh, to log into the new migration server. Also through OSINT, I was able to discover who their third-party IT support was. And knowing who their IT support was, and it also was able to find a snip of an email, so I knew how they formatted their emails too. 
So copy that as best I could. And then, yeah, and then I sent it as a specific engineer from their IT support, spoofed that email, and then sent that out to all the targets that the client had given me. And then that link I designed to be a fake landing page. So it looked exactly like the login they had on the other one. But I did include the fact that it was the migration server at the top. So when they got there at a glance, it's like, I recognize this. But also it's like, oh, yes, I am at the migration server I was supposed to do. And they wouldn't even hopefully think about it. And then um, I sent that out Thursday afternoon. And then my last day of my testing for this engagement was Tuesday. So that way they would have a couple of days and then I could follow up on anything um, the next week with potential vishing or things if I wanted to as well. And the reason I sent it Thursday afternoon was since it was later in the week and I told them the deadline for it was before the weekend, it would create some urgency for my targets to uh, hopefully, because the biggest thing is if they think about anything too much, they might figure it out. So if we create urgency and things like that, they're less likely to think about it and then they can hopefully move forward and we can steal credentials and things without them ever knowing. That's kind of the phishing part of the engagement. However, that's kind of when things started also going wrong for me. The next part was the phishing engagement. And so while I was monitoring the phishing campaign, I was performing some OSN to get ready to make some more calls and be able to have a couple more details for um, building out the pretext for that. However, it was towards the end of Thursday, I figured out that they had actually sent the link I had sent, so one of my targets. So that's when everything started going wrong. While I was monitoring the phishing engagement, I was preparing for my phishing campaign, doing some more and looking for more specific details I could bring up on calls if I needed to, and things like that. It was around that time that I, since I was monitoring things, I realized that one of the targets that the client sent me didn't fall for it and actually submitted it to somewhere where it would get flagged. And so everyone who clicked on that link at that point got a red splash page with warning labels and very clearly don't pass and warnings that if you pass, your data could be stolen, all this stuff, which completely blew my phishing out of the water. So I only got a few credentials there, which is always great still. But it didn't last as long as I wanted. And so uh, I figured initially my plan with the vision campaign was to use it to get those extra things that the client wanted. I was actually going to pretend to be one of the member of the client's security team and call them saying, hey, we're following up on this phishing attack that just happened, which was me. But <laughs> it was a phishing attack that just happened. And so I was going to call them, follow up with them, and ask them about things like, what operating system are they running? Do they ever open emails on their home computer or their cell phone? What is their home computer or their cell phone if they do do that? Things like that so I can catch those extra details for the client to show like, yes, this is important, but there's a whole lot of other issues that potentially can just make things a lot worse for you too. However, because the phishing campaign got blown up, I decided to kind of change the direction I was going. I shifted gears and instead I decided I would make calls as a fictional uh, coworker of the IT support team. And I would be calling, apologizing, saying we screwed up in the way we set up the certificates. It's our fault it's not working. It is okay to click past. 
We're so sorry. If you need help, we can guide you through it. Um, again, like being super apologetic. And that's when I started calling people. The first guy I called, great guy. He actually uh, just got home from surgery. He had some sort of knee surgery. And from the call, he sounded also maybe a little loopy from that knee surgery still too. But great guy, nice guy. Chatted with him a little bit, asked him how his knee was doing and stuff, which I will say, for those of you who are watching or listening uh, and do it through competitions, building rapport is very, very important. It's a little bit harder than when you're actually working because I can spend 30 minutes on a call with one person just for the heck of it and build, really build that rapport so I can just dig into things. And so I spent like 10 minutes on the call just chatting with the guy about his knee surgery and catching up with him on life before I started digging in. And he's just like, oh yeah, I saw that email come in, but then there's a red page. So I just stopped. It's like, again, my bad. He's like, oh, okay, yeah. And didn't even have to like be super apologetic because I had built that rapport before. It's just like, yeah, my bad. Click the link. It's fine. He's like, okay, great. Uh, stay on the line. So make sure you actually goes through. He prompted that. It was great. Fantastic, nice guy. Very, very helpful. Shouldn't have been helpful, but very, very helpful. Clicked on the link, went through. I asked him a couple other work questions like, well, since the knee surgery, are you coming into work? Are you working from home? If you're working from home, do you use the VPN? Have you had any issues with that? And all these sorts of things, because, you know, as the IT support that screwed up, I want to see if there's any other way I could potentially help him and just gleaned all sorts of information about how their internet work worked, what operating systems they run, that it was okay to use email on mobile phones. So if I want to do a more of a mobile phone attack, I potentially could do that in the future. All sorts of things like that. And that was my first phishing call with uh, that one. It was super, super successful. Great guy. Kept calling other people. One person actually uh, was really, really suspicious. I'm just gonna call her Jennifer. It's really easy for me to refer to her names. So Jennifer, I called her. She's like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Seth, I work with Roger. Okay, I know Roger, but I don't know a Seth. Well, you know, I'm fairly new. Um, I mostly do backend, so I don't do actually a lot of client communication. I set things up for Roger. And in in a document that I found I, before, I noticed that there was a, a different upgrade that happened to a system. Uh, and so I was just like, I helped with the blah, blah, blah upgrade that happened a couple months ago. Um, I just normally do backend stuff, but because of the multiple calls in EAD, Roger asked me to start calling people. Because I had did my OSINT and had that extra information, it was at that point where she backed off on her suspiciousness. She was also driving, so I wasn't able to get any credentials from her. Uh, but I talked her through it and everything and like explained the issue and stuff. She's like, okay, yeah, yeah. When I get home, I should be able to do that. No problem. I don't think I ever actually got her credentials. But while on the phone with her, I did chat with her about some things because she was going to a meeting. So I asked her the meeting. She's like, well, it's this, this, and, you know, got a little bit more information, but she was really hard to get anything. But even little details help. I remember... A friend of mine was making calls for a competition once and she got shut down hard by this one person, but she got points still because she figured out the person's name and how long they were working there. And if me as a, you know, actually performing this test, that's more stuff I can name drop for the next person. So even little details can help. And so while I feel like that was kind of like one of those calls I basically got completely shut down on, 
I was able to still glean a little something which can help with your next calls. Those were the two most memorable calls I feel like from that. Chatted with some other people. Most people were like, okay, yeah, tech support, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yep, you you said the right company. You name dropped this one person. We're good. Let's move on. What do I need to do? Okay, oh, yep, you screwed up. I see what you're talking about. Okay, move on. Enter credentials, and thank you for your credentials. I have now captured your credentials. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the client was super thankful for what we did, but also it's always a little bit of bittersweet too with these type of things because if they were perfect, that's awesome. But with pen testing and having also done defensive security before I started to focus more on offensive security, defense is a lot harder because you need to be right almost every single time. I will say though, defense can also be very, very rewarding because when you are right and you are blocking people and doing things, it feels really, really great, comfortable too. And you're, you know, helping the good guys, which we're good guys too. We just pretend to be the bad guys. What would have been your advice on how the company and the employees could have better defended themselves against the techniques that you used? Well, so when the first thing first with the phishing, I would say that as far as my knowledge and the client might have had a procedure in this, but chose not to follow it because it was a pen testing test. The moment that a notification or something like, like that is found, send a, another blanket email informing everyone that this is an issue. So that way, those that saw the email, if they saw the second one, when I'm calling saying it's okay, they're like, uh, but we got this other email that said it wasn't. So they would already be a little more aware of that. Client might already had a procedure like that in place, but because of the test, they didn't build it. But those type of things can really help. Keeping your employees and people informed on those type of situations can really help a lot. With the vishing, I would say more training and always be suspicious of links you get in emails. And the fact that there was this huge warning, obviously a red flag and maybe a little more suspicious of people on the call, but it's really hard too, because especially with the latest year and COVID, a lot of these people in this company I was working with were used to working in-house. And so since they're working from home, they're not as, they have that same mentality that they're working in the corporation or business headquarters, which already has a little bit more security around it. Since they're working from home, they take that corporate mentality there and they don't think about how easier of a target they are because they are in a different environment. Um, because I called them from a fictitious cell phone, I spoofed my number, but I didn't spoof a work number. I just claimed that it was, uh, I, I spoofed a number in the area that the main corporation was, actually that the IT support company was from, but it wasn't like any corporate number or anything. And so getting that um, would be a little bit more helpful. And if you're a little suspicious at all, there is no problem with saying, hang up, let me call you instead. I guess we'll move on to the second story, uh, sweet old lady. I will preface this. So my sister described social engineering once to someone when I was in the room and I thought it was such a great description. It's when you are pretending to be the super innocent, want to be helpful guy, but when really you're just the devil trying to steal their credentials. And it's kind of true. And I've never really, really felt that way, but I did feel a little bit like the devil after this one. <laughs> 
That said, everything we do is always to help people out, even if we capture their credentials. It gets them better training, it gets them more informed, and it's a lot better that we're the ones doing it because we're working with clients, we're approved, scope and stuff's done, so it helps a lot. But yeah, I did feel a little guilty after this one. This one was a pure vishing engagement. There was a colleague of mine about the week before, might have been two weeks before, that performed a phishing engagement. And it was really nice because in the initial kickoff meeting with the client, we discussed things and we requested and got approval that anything he found, he could share with me. So that way it would be a more realistic attack as we move forward. Client was really helpful and warned me ahead of time that they didn't have any external, not many external facing resources, but they were still curious if I could somehow get credentials. And so I started like I always did, OSINT, scouring the internet, trying to find what I can about the company, its people inside, things like that. But I was also really, really glad this client actually did warn me because there was barely anything externally facing and everything externally facing, there wasn't any corporate ways to log in. And so I'm glad they gave me the warning ahead of time. And so I knew I wanted to know more about how their IT support works. So you might've noticed I did IT support last time and I'm doing IC support again for this one. The reason for that is I believe that the more you take from what you know, the better you can do about things. I have done IT support. I have been a system administrator. I work in technology. Taking on that role is very, very easy for me to do. If I was, let's say, targeting a law company and you want to pretend to be a lawyer to ask them about client information, you're going to have to know how to walk the walk and talk the talk. Um, whether it's as a paralegal or a lawyer, they know all those individual terms and special things. There are cheat sheets you can do where I've tried to do this, where like, you know, I want to, let's say lawyer again, I want to try to pretend to be a lawyer. Um, I can look up some different terms and stuff and try to be like, okay, uh, if they mention this, I'll know what it is. Maybe I can work this in. So it sounds and I could fake it a little bit better. But the reason I generally go to more IT support or actually being a security person is because that's what I've done. That's what I, and so it's a lot easier for me to fake that when I'm making these calls. And so I wanted uh, more information on how their IT support handle things. Uh, so I plan on calling IT support, but just calling the call doesn't really get anything done. Well, it can help. But if you call with a reason, it helps more. And so what I did is I found a specific person and I OS into so much about him. I knew his addresses from birth. I knew his current phone number and his last phone number when he got married, his wife's name, both his wife and his birthday. I, I don't know if his dog was still alive, but I knew at least one of his dog's names that I believe was the most recent dog had all this information and also zoomed in on some of the pictures because for eye colors, hair color, and things like that too. And mother's maiden name. I made sure to get the mother's name and the mother's address actually too, found that. But got all this information so that I could call IT support and ask to request a password reset and see if I could change his password potentially. So yeah, called IT support and they were like, you know, IT support, we're here to help. How can we help you? Blah, blah. And I was like, yep, so I can't log in my computer and I'm having these issues, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just hoping you can reset my password. And he's like, okay, can you send me a message through blah, blah, blah. I now knew how they IM'd each other through their different 
application. Um, and I was like, yeah, well, that's on my computer and I can't really, you know, do that because I can't get on my computer. He's like, okay. And then he seemed really hesitant. And so I was just like, well, what about this? Is this, is there something I could do here? Blah, blah, blah. And I was chatting with him about things. He's like, well, the biggest issue is unless you're connected on the VPN, we can't resetting the password actually won't do anything for you. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. And that was not something I had thought of. And so I was like, well, I have my old computer that I could potentially do, which I, you know, invented out of nothing. Um, if I could potentially log into that one with the old password, would that work? He's like, that might work. Um, and so I was like, all right, give me a second. Move some stuff around, you know, play some things about, make it sound like I was pulling something out from somewhere. And then I, after a little bit of while, it's just like, okay, that one is booting up and yeah, my old password there worked. Um, is there any way that, you know, this can help and stuff? He's like, well, I can send you another IM message type thing. I'm like, dang it, he keeps going back to this thing. I don't really want to do this. He's like, okay, uh, yeah, it's asking for a login and I think it's my new login for the IM message. So I can't actually log in. The password seemed to only work for the computer. He's like, yeah, that would make sense because it's unsynced, which is what I was going for. But I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure how it'll help you. I was like, well, I'm actually close to headquarters. Is there any chance that uh, I could come by? And he's like, well, the building's locked because of COVID. I'm like, well, like, how far does the Wi-Fi reach out? If I get close enough, would that get me to the network? He's like, yeah, that might actually work. And I was like, okay, uh, what's the Wi-Fi password again? He's like, oh, wait, give me a second. And so gave him a few seconds, and he was quiet for a long time. It's like. Well, well, what about the, like the Wi-Fi password? So if, when I have time, he's like, oh, oh, yeah, the Wi-Fi password is blah, blah, blah. And I was like, sweet, got a Wi-Fi password. He's like, yeah, but I sent you a message on IM, and it looks like you're able to IM me back. And like, oh, dang it. <laughs> he had IM'd the guy I, I was pretending to be. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I'm trying to message you, but real fast. So about the whole login process stuff, he's like, wait, wait uh, and so got a little bit more of the process from him. And, but he kept like getting distracted by the IM messages. And he's like, I'm gonna need to put you on hold for a little while. And I was like, well, I don't have anywhere to be, I'll wait. Um, and so I just waited on hold. And then like five minutes later, he got back on. He's like, yeah, I don't think I can help you anymore. I'm like, oh, how come? He's like, I'm busy. And I'm like, well, I need to get this done though. And he's just like, yeah, no, I, I'm kind of busy. It was like, well, if I need to like get more help or anything, is there another place I could go look for something? He's like, uh, yeah, it's blah, blah. So I got a little bit of their help desk page too. Um, but yeah, and so even after he very, very clearly was aware, he was still in that I want to be helpful help desk mode. And there was something that I trained people at a past company I worked at where it's like, yeah, if you reach the point where you are 99% sure or even like 75% sure someone is trying to pull some hinky stuff, you don't have to be nice to them anymore. You can be a little more curt because the whole thing with the help desk people is like, be nice, client, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's no longer a client at that point. You can be a little more curt. And if you don't want to handle it, transfer them to someone on my security team. And that was the best way to handle it at that point because it's just like, no, just let them know that you're putting them holding your transfer to someone that can actually help them. And then they'll have a talk with our security team, which would be a lot more curt once they figure out what's going on. 
so yeah, but it was very helpful. Got a Wi-Fi password out of it and got an idea of how the tech support kind of talked, what details they asked, because some of the stuff information they asked for me was like, what's your user ID? I didn't have that. And so he wasn't, he didn't give that to me, but I was able to supply my username and he was like, okay, yeah, I should be able to look up the user ID from that. And so I was able to grab those things. So next, I altered my pretext. I got enough information there, I could start calling people. And so I was gonna call people from being IT support, helping out with a security incident, again, phishing email that happened recently, and calling people to follow up on it. And I'm very glad, this was actually not done intentionally, but I'm very glad that it kind of set up my first question more vague than I intended. Because my first question was something I was like, did you see the email that came in about blah, blah, blah? Because some people thought it was an official email and some people I called were very clear it was phishing. And so I could direct the conversation in slightly different ways to not expose that they were phishing attack if I was the actual person attacking. And so that was, I'm glad, and that was unintentional and something I try to do more now in the future and the lesson learned, that I left my first question more vague for them to open up and explain more things to me when I was making calls. But yeah, started calling people as IT support. And the issue I ran before that though, was I was wondering what to do because the client wanted credentials. And my experience has been, when you ask someone for a password, that immediately hits warning bells. However, if you build a fake website and make it look all nice and official, and you say, here is a resource that you can type in passwords to see how strong your password is, they're much more willing to do that. So that's exactly what I did. Built out a fake website. Any password you typed in that was four characters or more would come back as good. So that way, if they do just a quick check, they're like, okay, yeah, this is actually, I think it is six characters or more because I knew their password policy. And so that way, if they did like a quick ASDFG check, boom, okay, came back bad. All right. And so that way, it at least appear at the surface like it was a little more official. And yeah, then I started making calls to people. I had one call that was successful. It took a little while, uh, but it was good. It's always a little bit more difficult, I feel like, if you're masquerading as in-house people or even like in-house people they don't know because they're in-house people. Generally speaking, they're a little bit more aware of who those people are. And so it took a little bit more explaining than it did for the last one, because the last one, I was a third party person that worked with this other third party person. That makes sense. It was easier to accept the fact they had never heard of me. We're calling people here. Some people were a little weirded out that they hadn't heard of the person that I was calling us. But I think it was about the third call. I called this sweet lady. She was so nice, chatted with her. Uh, she was a receptionist that worked with a lot of the higher-ups. Chatted with her for a little while. She asked who I was and did a good job. And I was like, oh, I'm actually pretty new. I've only been working for about three months because of COVID. No one has, you know, actually been able to really meet anyone. The only person I met is name drop coworker that is IT support. Oh yeah, him, isn't he so great? Um, I was like, yeah, he's been a real good mentor, really helped me out. I had some issues with credentials earlier and he really helped me with that uh, because the name I dropped was the IT support I called before. And so I had a great, and that's at that point, the rapport was already starting to be built. And then continued chatting with her some, uh, just continue to build that rapport. 
uh, found out that she had three boys. All of them are older than me. And so I got the feeling that she kind of was like a sweet old grandma lady. Like, and she was just a sweetheart. I learned about the Elvis Presley Museum. And that she got to go there recently with her son because it was open because of COVID. Yes, you have to wear masks and everything. But if you go, wear good shoes. Because there's actually like multiple houses you can go on the tour. And there's a lot of different things you can see. So you're actually going to be doing a lot of walking. And there's not a lot of places to sit down. So wear good shoes. Uh, that was something I learned. It actually makes me really want to, next time I'm on the East Coast, actually visit this place. Because I've never been. But it actually sounds pretty sweet. But yeah, great visit with her, at which point I was just like, hey, so did you get this email? Blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, it was a little weird, so I actually didn't do anything with it. I was like, that's fine. It actually was a phishing attack, so great job in picking that out. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good at picking those things out. And I'm like, so is you, like, reporting? She's like, no, nah, I was suspicious, but I wasn't 100% sure, so I didn't report it. I was like, that's fine. We're calling people and trying to find out what they found suspicious, what they didn't, and just walked her through that with her. And she was a little suspicious because the link wasn't what she was expecting in the email. I actually don't remember what the pretext for the email was. I didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> but the link was a little bit oddly worded. And uh, there was other thing that she noticed. I was like, all right, that's awesome. But you did open the email. You just didn't click the link. She's like, yeah, I opened the email. I didn't click the link. I was like, okay. Um, then I have a couple more questions I want to ask you. At which point I asked her about her computer, um, whether she used a home computer, what email client, all of this information, what type of stuff she did for her bosses, and like if she handled any secure documents or things like that. So I, in the end, I had a really good idea it was on her computer. And then it's when I, oh, and also what type of phone she used, but she never connected to the Wi-Fi because it was too fancy and she didn't want to deal with it. Can't blame her for that. These phones have gotten pretty fancy. <laughs> so I'm going to have you go to this site and actually um, show you. It's kind of a resource to see how strong your passwords and stuff are. And so read out the site to her, part of the site was the word pwned, so we had a fun laugh as I explained that to her, as I made sure she spelt it out, because it took me three times making sure she spelt the site right. But because I had built all that rapport, she was willing to take the time with me, with me to work through and make sure she actually got to it so I can check the things I needed to as IT support. And yeah, and then she's like entered in her credentials and got that. And she's like, it says my password's good. I was like, yeah, that's great. She's like, so should I like check all my work passwords for this? And I was like, yeah, enter them all in. And she, I got so many passwords while I was on the phone with her. I think some of them weren't work ones, but I have no idea. And it was just so many credentials from this one person. Uh, that's why I felt a little bit like the devil. Like she was the sweetheart. We had a wonderful chat. I'm probably next time on the East Coast visiting a museum because of her. And I just basically stole everything from her. Yeah, I actually uh, hung up, made my notes, took a short like 15 minute break after that, trying to recollect myself, remind myself that my job is helping these people and this is what I need to do. And then after that, I started making calls again. I think I got like two more people during my machine attempts. You're a terrible, terrible person. I am a good person. I am a terrible, terrible, terrible villain that when I pretend to be. 
<laughs> should I give you all of my passwords? Yes, you should. That leads me right into a, a question that I like to ask people. Is there anything, any pretext that is too far for you? Where are your ethics on this? Assuming that anything that's illegal is out, but is there anything that is legal that you think is too far? I'll share a little story about something I did in my youth. I was at a train station and we were just waiting for the train and a random phone on the payphone started ringing. And so I went and answered it because who knows? And so I answered it and it was this sleepy person saying like, hey, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, where are you? And I'm like, baby, I gotta go. I'm sorry, this isn't working out. I need to leave. This is, I'm sorry, I'm at the train station right now. I have to go. And I just hung up and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's actually like, that to me is one of the worst things I've done in my life. Um, <laughs> I hope that relationship got fixed and they realized that was not an actual call to the right person. But I'd say things that could potentially affect or target actual personal relationships or because our goal with the things we do for testing is to help people. Also things that would drastically affect their work or long-term options, I feel like would be ethically not okay. One of the things we talk about with our clients is you shouldn't punish the people we get. If we call someone and get their credentials and stuff, it's not a punishing moment, it's a teaching moment because they need more training and yeah, that's basically it. Uh, they need more training, they need more understanding, and they need to learn more. And we're good at what we do, so they shouldn't be blamed when they don't actually able to do things. One other question for you. If somebody came to you for advice on how to get into this field, somebody wants to be a social engineer, what advice are you going to give them to get into the field and do you have any suggestions on how somebody can practice social engineering skills without being employed as a social engineer pen tester? I get asked that a lot and almost every single time a question I feel like is also different. So the first thing first I'd say is just kind of getting a little bit idea of the culture and how to do things and stuff. There's this podcast I heard about called Layer 8 that uh, has a lot of good things that you might be able to listen to and pick up some things for. That might be a good way to do it. I also heard recently that they uh, partnered with an Temple University to do some social engineering uh, competitions and stuff, which I think the applications still might be going when this is released. Because uh, I know applications are due soon. But it's a social engineering competition, which for those of you who have been to DEF CON, is modeled very much kind of like the social engineering contest in DEF CON, but they set it up where it's multiple days and they can teach you, and it's more of a teaching moment as you go through too. And so that's another good way to do it. In today's day and age, it is harder to end up in this field, I feel like, not impossible, because there are still ways to do it, without having a bachelor's degree though. And so I would look into uh, different colleges and programs that you could potentially get a bachelor's degree. Um, it does not need to be cybersecurity though. Uh, some of the cybersecurity programs are really good out there. Some of them are still new and trying to figure out what they're doing. And some of the new ones are still really good because they did a lot of the groundwork beforehand. I graduated with an information technology degree at this is cybersecurity. 
So all my electives were cybersecurity, but because I did system administration and other things, and I wanted a more well-rounded idea of information technology, I did that, which helped. And it also sometimes helps with, you know, making IT support calls. Instead of having so much specific knowledge in cybersecurity, having some more general knowledge sometimes helps you talk to the client, sometimes gives you a better perspective of where the client's coming from. And so I wouldn't say you need to go in a cybersecurity degree, but having some sort of technology degree background would really help too. And there's different options when you're in college too. Like Black Hat I know has a scholarship where students can go for free. You just need to get a rooming and board and all that. You'll have to figure out yourself and how to get there. And then, like I mentioned, this Temple University competition, there's a lot of different options and stuff you can do too. I know some schools have clubs they do for uh, different things like this too. This has been a whole lot of fun. I really enjoyed your stories. And you're not an awful person, Moses. You're a pretty great guy. <laughs> thanks, Patrick. No, this has been really fun. This is actually my first podcast, and I think this has been great. So thanks. You did awesome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Layer 8 podcast. You can find out more information about us at layer8conference.com and find more podcast episodes on many of your favorite platforms. We hope you enjoy these episodes as much as we enjoyed making them.